going to be doing all year long. Now, I don't know how accurate that is, but for what we're doing, isn't it nice to contemplate that first day of 2023, we had Bible class, Ryan's led us in song, Alan, led us, Alan Alexander led us in prayer, Michael had our scripture reading, and I'm going to try to bring our lesson this morning. And we get to fellowship, we get to sing songs of praise, and we get to worship God together. And isn't that a great thing to think about the first day of the year? That that's what, we, that's what we're doing and going to strive to do today. Uh, so I'm thankful, I'm appreciative, and I'm grateful that we're here. We're here together. We're also here to study together. Uh, something I want you to think about, I asked the question, is uh, I like the power of questions. I like the power of questions because a long time ago, and I've shared this before from here, that uh, I was told as a teenager, you can learn a lot about somebody by what they laugh at. Well, as an adult, I've learned that you can tell a lot about how serious somebody is about their improvement, about their growth, about things they want to accomplish in life by the questions they ask. As we are moving into 2023, uh, and I'm sharing some of my personal questions, uh, how can I be uh, a better parent? How can I be a better spouse? How can I better be a better servant? How can I develop a better budget? And all of those things that could go on and on. And the idea is, as we get older as a Christian, before we became a Christian, we asked the greatest question. We read about that in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. What must I do to be saved? There's no bigger, better, greater question to ask than that. What must I do to be saved? And the answer is given also in that same section of scriptures. Be baptized for the remission of sins. And we'll, we'll close with that just in a few minutes. It's kind of how we end is how we start, and that's how we're starting. But also, once we've obeyed the gospel, then we want to seek godly wisdom. Uh, a friend of mine, Gary Massey, preaches in the Chattanooga area, and he was using an illustration recently. He says, uh, and I'm going to preface this illustration, that this is not a browbeating about attendance, so don't think that. But Gary said that he had a friend, a preacher friend, telling him that he had a mom in his congregation who had a daughter who was a very talented or successful swimmer and that they would attend services on Sunday morning. But Gary's preacher friend said, you know, I talked to her about their attendance, about Sunday nights and other things and, and functions of the church and activities and youth activities. And he said the mom was in earnest about it. She said, my daughter, God has given my daughter the ability to be a successful swimmer. So I think that's what we do because the meets are on Sunday. So we, we won't be back on Sunday night, and here's why, preacher. Here's why. And Gary says that's a classic example of choosing worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. And so as we've asked the greatest question, what must I do to be saved, then we should be asking what must I do to be pleasing to God by choosing his wisdom and not worldly wisdom. So with that being our, our jumping off point, I appreciate Michael reading uh, what he read. If you go in, if you're in Proverbs, if you would flip to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Proverbs 3, verses 19 through 20. And we realize that just like that mom who is taking her child to swim meets on Sunday afternoon and all of the things that maybe pull us away, 
The one behind that is Satan. The one behind that is the tempter, who's making the world seem more attractive, more alluring uh, than anything that, that God would offer. But we know that that's not the case. That shouldn't be the case. Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, says this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the depths were broken, and clouds dropped down the dew. Now, you think about wisdom just for a minute. God created heavens and the earth, and we know, for, and we know from experience when we create something, we know all the intricacies. This morning in Bible class, I mentioned that we uh, got to participate last night in fellowship, fun, and football, and food, actually. I added a fourth F. And I was sitting down at my wife's sister's table, and I've probably had, and you're going to say, Alan, I think you've had more than a couple of hundred, but I've had at least a couple of hundred meals at this table, had a nice bench and a tabletop, and it looked kind of like ours at home. And I asked her, I said, did Paul make this for you? She said, yep. Yeah. I said, you know, he made us one too. And it never hit me before. The point is this, that Paul made that table uh, and that bench so he knows all the weaknesses, the seams, uh, where the nails are hammered, the purpose, and all of those things, the intricacies. He knows both tables and both benches. You think about the things we've created. We know the ins and the outs. We know the faults. We know the fractions, uh, or the fractures, rather. Just like with God, in His wisdom, He created the earth. He created us. He knows us. So should we be seeking His wisdom? Because He knows our strengths, our weaknesses, and also, just like that table and bench, he knows our purpose. Um, if you would slide on down, or while you're in the Old Testament, if you would go to Isaiah chapter 28, verses 23 through 39, we know that God knows best, but I'm, since I'm talking about questions, what must I do to be saved? What does godly wisdom look like? I also ask the question, what is wisdom? Well, for most of us in our part of the world, we are connected on some level to agriculture. And I'm so thankful for that, that uh, I have that agriculture background in my family, uh, in my neighbors and my friends, church members or family members here. So we understand a little bit, even if we've never farmed on a big level or a level at all, we do understand agriculture. We understand the illustration that God lays out for us in terms of agriculture and farmers. Isaiah 28, verses 23 through 29, we see the beauty of God's wisdom. Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman, plowman keep plowing all day to sow? Does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? When he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin and plant the wheat in, in rows, the barley in the appointed place and the spelt in its place? For he instructs him in right judgment. For he, for his God teaches him. For the black cumin is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over the cumin, but the black cumin is beaten out with a stick, and the cumin with a rod. Bread flour must be ground, therefore he does not thresh it forever. Break it with its cartwheel or crush it with its horsemen. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. What is the picture there? Is it teaching us how to sow that crop? Not necessarily. I don't have my background in agriculture is not even surface level. It's that weak. I, I can tell you a little bit, but not a lot. But I do know this. 
what do we see? God painting a picture about wisdom. He's going to punish Israel. He uses the metaphor and example of a farmer. He prepares the land. He doesn't just continue to plow and plow and plow. There's a time and a place. Everything has a beginning and everything has an end. There's a process. The, the wise farmer knows how to get the ground ready and plant and harvest, and the cycle continues. They might even rotate their crops and, and, and go through the entire process. Wisdom is simply this, knowing what to do and doing it. I go back again a third time to the mom and her, her all-star swimmer daughter. She knows what to do. She knows what she should be doing as a parent. But she's making a choice to choose the worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. So knowing when to do, knowing when to plow, and the circumstances of our situation. So what is wisdom? Knowing what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. God lays that out for us in Scripture. And I wanted to share, too, when you think about commitment and dedication. That sometimes that is kind of a uh, maybe a pull back and forth at times, but not if we're seeking godly wisdom. Uh, this morning in Bible class, uh, I shared this phrase that uh, I saw on the commercial last night that simply says, finding solutions that the world needs right now. The solution that the world needs is Christ. And I wanted to share, too, that our congregation for the last two and a half, three years, you all have bought about a thousand Bibles. And with those have been distributed in our local jail ministry, in our community, through food distribution, all of those different things. So we are striving to share godly wisdom with the world, not what we think or our opinion, but what Scripture says. And you're to be commended for that, for choosing to be wise, being wise in a way that you want others to be wise. Go to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. Again, the question of what must I do to be wise. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, I like the phrase that ask in faith. You should have been, if you weren't in Bible class, I wish you would have. We had a, had a really good Bible class. I wanted this because of the participation. Terry shared some really good news this morning about prayer. That today, January 1st in 2023, that the gospel is being shared in North Korea. One of the, the places where Christianity and Jesus is hated, but yet, because of prayer, because of the love of sharing the gospel, choosing godly wisdom, and the church around the world and in our community, in our region, wanting to share the good news, it's being shared today. God is doing the work. God is answering our prayers. But people prayed because of having faith and not doubt. Wisdom comes from God. When we don't have wisdom, we're tossed to and from in the storms of life. Look at James chapter 3 while you're there. If you slide on down, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Begins with another question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and, evil, and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from 
above is pure, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace and those who seek peace. So you have two polar opposites, earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Well, what's the difference? Well, earthly wisdom says, I want to choose me. I want to choose my desires. I don't want to, I'm willing to compete with the purity of God's wisdom. Godly wisdom is simply God saying, choose me, choose my ways. Because if you slide back up to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, the key word towards the end, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Well, what, what infiltrates our purity? Well, competition with the world. All the things that we're feeding our minds and we're feeding our brains and feeding our hearts and our thoughts and our actions competes with God's purity, with what, when it, obviously, and then minimizes our ability to uh, be wise. Human wisdom says, I'm most important. Godly wisdom says, seek my ways from God. James chapter 3, verse 17. When you think about wisdom being pure, does winning solve our problems? Uh, last night, uh, watched some, some sports. We played some games, competition. When you think about all the money and the calories and the dollars and all those things that was poured in to winning a game. I even listened to one of the, uh, uh, who later was going to be, became a winning coach last night, but in the pregame, uh, the lady interviewing him talked about the level of competition that night or last night. And he says, hey, he said, we're, we're ready. He said, we go out every day. He used the word fight. He said, we'll go out every day. We fight in practice, meaning we compete in practice. And you could just see the intensity. You could just see that he was just swelling and bursting, and he was ready for kickoff. And I thought just for a minute, uh, and I like sports, I like competition, but I thought just for a minute, can you imagine how great it would be to use all of those dollars, all of those calories, all of that time, all of those facilities, all of those resources, all of those people with that same intensity of choosing godly wisdom and not the world's wisdom. You could turn, we could literally turn the world upside down. And just for a minute, uh, it made me kind of think about what I'm competing with, what you're competing with. We're competing with that, and yet we compete sometimes, but we need to make sure that we seek God's wisdom and God's purity because of the things that he expects from us, but also by the things we get to enjoy. Does achievement make us better than others in humanity? If we, you can fill in the blank, if I achieve X, Y, Z, if I'm successful in this area, if I'm able to attain all of these things, does that elevate me? Does it make me better than others? Does our thirst to be elevated take away all of our problems and all of our challenges? And we know the answer to that is all those questions are no. Depending on what questions we're asking in life, our focus may be taken away from that pure, peaceful wisdom that God allows us to have. Go to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. While you're turning to Isaiah 55, verse 8, a little more about wisdom. It allows us to discern and to discuss. And I don't use the word discern a lot, but I think a lot about uh, some definitions. I looked up its filter. Uh, when I one of the one of my favorite things to do besides eating was watching someone else prepare my food at home as a little kid. I loved scratch biscuits or homemade biscuits. 
And one of the things they would let me do was to run the sifter. We had a little gold-plated sifter. I don't think it was gold-plated. It just more copper-looking, or maybe it was just worn out. Maybe it was another color at another time. I don't know. But I remember, and that was my job. I got to run the sifter. I loved running the sifter because you got to see how fine the flour was, and I filtered out all the, the things that, that didn't need to be in, in the biscuits. Wisdom, God's wisdom, allows us to filter out what's good and what's bad, what's evil and what's right when we are seeking His wisdom. But that only happens when we're seeking. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, some folks may say, well, we can never understand or attain what God wants us to do. That's not true. God sets the expectation. The Bible is written for us to read, understand, and apply. We can attain expectations He's laid out for us, but we must be willing to stretch. You flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We'll spend the next few minutes uh, in 1 Corinthians as we kind of wind down the, the back stretch. As you turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25, I'd like to share this one statement with you. To achieve true wisdom, we have to demote ourselves. We must realize that we need Him. When we are competing with the world and our thoughts are impure, that means that we are promoting ourselves and we're demoting our focus on God. And that should not happen. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, we see Christ's power and the wisdom of God. And Paul says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block into the Greeks' foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Think about the simplicity of, the, of wisdom and the context of what Paul is writing. He's writing to Corinth. Now, this afternoon at 5, we'll spend a little more time talking about the breadth and the depth and the, the commerce of, of Corinth a little bit. But Paul is writing to a group of uh, people who the church is made up of a cross-section demographically of people who, are, who have flocked to Corinth for business reasons, for athletic reasons, for immoral reasons. And, that, and the church, God in His wisdom, wanted the church to be planted there. But the audience, they're rich. It's a wealthy shipping town, commerce, made lots of money, and thought a lot of themselves. You think about the Greek culture that's already been highlighted in, in those seven verses. Greek culture, they're all about, all about intelligence, all about information, education, debates. I've even read that in communication classes even today, some of the same strategies and techniques that were used during that time are still being used today. They were all about an engagement of information. But yet, God has taken these people who think they're so smart and who think they're so wise, and what's He done? He's turned them upside down. To the Jews, what do they want? They want power. They want a dynasty. They want authority, a uh, kingdom on earth. They want a sign of a military. 
But to those folks, and especially the Greeks, the cross is what? Foolish. What about in our world? People think the cross is foolish. They may think that that we uh, are foolish in our ways. I was in a we were in a meeting. Not oh, it's been a while, but Tommy uh, had shared that he was in conversation with maybe in a business associate, and they were talking about religion. and And Tommy says, "I'm a part of South Green Street Church of Christ." He said, "Oh yeah." He said, "You all are the guys who meet all the time. You meet all the time." And people think that we're foolish for having Bible class Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all those things. Uh, but yet we see that we're seeking to be choose the wisdom of God, while the world thinks may think we're foolish. And Paul was dealing with it with the same challenges as he was writing to the church there. While you're in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, Paul is reminding them that uh, even to the, uh, he is saying in so many words, you came to Christ because it was true, even if it didn't make sense to others. Sometimes maybe our attendance, maybe the things, how we behave and act and have been transformed doesn't make sense to others, but yet we seek to uh, illuminate Christ to the best of our abilities. We seek to be an ambassador for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 says this, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things who also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he who know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ because we have Scripture. We get to take advantage of, if you have it in digital form or paper form, or giving them out uh, for different areas or activities of the church, we have the mind of Christ, because we're judged on these words. This is what you, you hold as well. And that's wise to know that. Isaiah chapter 28, we were referenced earlier, farmer knows about preparation, planning, harvesting, know when to do and what to do, because he, he's following God's laws when it comes to agriculture. What's the result of, of human wisdom? If you would turn to Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Um, many times we, we think what the world is dealing with, choosing godly wisdom versus human wisdom. This is the result of not choosing godly wisdom, but choosing worldly wisdom. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now from verse 19 to verse 21, those are instructions. Those are warnings. Those are guardrails that Paul is saying, here's the things that you should not do. But if you could take, kind of put the Bible to the side just for a minute, don't you see all of this? Don't we see all of this in the media, on the news, news stories? If we could just kind of, uh, as I read those words, it makes me think of being a 
unencouraged world. This morning in class, we talked about encouragement versus discouraged, being uh, encouraged versus being discouraged. And when I read those 19, 20, and 21, I just have images of the news, thing, events that's happening in the world, things that's happening around us. But the good news is this, because if you keep going, if, you're, if we're seeking the, the wisdom of God, which we are, here's a, the good news. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become this conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then you kind of flip the, the other side and you look at all those comforting words, all of these wise words, all of these pure words, then that should hopefully drive us to choose godly wisdom and spiritual wisdom and not human wisdom. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. While you're turning, again, we get to take advantage of godly wisdom because we're equipped. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But you must continue in the things that you have learned and been answered, assured of, knowing from whom you learned from, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That we have a tremendous resource in our hands. Um, I sometimes date myself a little bit about references that I make, but I uh, just a long time ago, when you went, if you went to college, you had to buy books. And those books cost a lot of money, or I thought it was a lot of money. And I, and I heard, I didn't know, I, some people would tell me that when the semester's over, that if you want to, you can sell your books back. So I thought, that's great. I gave $95 for that basket weaving book on how to ba weave baskets for my elective. I bet that they're going to give me $95 for that book again. No, they might give you 30 or 35 if you're lucky and then make you feel bad about it by doing that. And the idea is this, I had to pay for all of those books, and they helped me achieve a little bit, maybe accomplish a task, get a, you know, get a passing grade, hopefully. But our book that we follow thoroughly equips us for everything on earth, but also prepares us for eternity. That's why we should be choosing godly wisdom and not, uh, not earthly wisdom. We'll finish where we started with a question. What must I do to be saved in Acts chapter 2? The answers we know that are found in Scripture. We talked about this morning in Bible class being encouraging. Sometimes bad news or maybe highlighting changes, not bad news, correction, maybe we need to make. Sometimes not always welcome, but it's needed. I wanted to share, Brandon Edwards had this quote. He said, God is, is, too, kind, is too good to be unkind, but too wise to be mistaken. Where we can't see his hand, we must trust his heart. We trust God when we obey the gospel. Acts chapter 2, Mark 16, 15 through 16. 1 Peter, uh, 
when we uh, seek to confess our sins. But yet, you ask the other question. If I've been a Christian, what must I do to be restored? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 says this. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we begin a new year, may we choose wisdom. May we choose God's wisdom. May we not choose human wisdom. May we seek to have our thoughts pure and not being competing with the world. When we ask the question, what must I do to be saved? We're thoroughly equipped because of Scripture. We know what to do. The response is, are we going to act upon what the answer that we know? If we want to be restored, we know that Jesus says, come back and he will restore us because his burden is light. You have people here who are willing to pray for you, help you, whether it's the first day of the year, the middle of the month, or the last day of the year. Please know that, you, that we want to help you to the best of our ability. We ask you to please come as we stand and sing. Jesus, he will make it white as snow. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.